Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, here today with Jacob Gibbs and a very special guest. We've got Scott Barrett from Fantasy Points here. I cannot wait to get into the data he's brought to the show for us today. On today's show, we've got advanced stats, running backs, wide receivers. We might even talk a little bit quarterbacks, but mostly running backs and pass catchers. We're going to dive into some messy backfields, the Ravens, the Vikings, the Steelers, the Seahawks. I think we need to ask about Brian Robinson, check in on him. He's been fantastic the last couple of weeks. And of course, we'll talk Puka and Tank Dell. Jacob's here. We've got to talk Puka, and I want to talk about Tank Dell every week. Scott, first, I'd like to just get get things started, though. Let people know what you've got going on at Fantasy Points, uh, and thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, FantasyPoints.com, best kept secret in the industry, kind of... Don't want it to remain a secret, but uh, really do think we're we're the best. Uh, right now, 80% off our standard and premium subscriptions. The Fantasy Points data suite is 75% off. Uh, so you're looking at 50 bucks for that, 30 bucks for, for premium, the highest we offer. Um, and yeah, yeah, we launched Fantasy Points data, uh, I don't know, six months ago. And uh, we couldn't be any prouder with that product. Really think we have the best data, the most accurate data in the industry. Uh, bunch of cool stats that no one else has. And just the level of customization we offer is is unparalleled. Really, the, the only thing you can compare it to are products that, you know, like sites are mm-hmm. spending you know, $15,000, $25,000 for. And right now you can purchase this for the rest of the year for only 50 bucks. You know, I probably should have just asked Jacob Gibbs because it's not a secret to anybody who follows him on Twitter. I, was, I don't know what you're paying him to promote <laughs> fantasy points on Twitter, but it's worth it. Jacob, why don't you just tell everybody, like, what what are your two or three favorite stats that you've been real, real, real quick. Yeah. Jacob has been my favorite person <laughs> in the world because he's brought us such amazing publicity. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't heard of you until maybe about week one or week two. And you immediately became one of my favorite follow follows. I have you on notifications. You're one of only like seven yeah. people. Uh, and not just, you know, I appreciate the the publicity, but like these are great tweets, great stats. You're using this the right way. Uh, you know what you're looking at. You know what's actionable. You know what's predictive. And so, uh, so yeah, you're, you're like the ideal power user, Jacob. So you could probably uh, pitch this better than I could. Power user, let's go. Yeah, you said best kept secrets. And I was like, I'm doing my best to make it not. Um, there's, there's so much in the data suite. If you follow me, you see me talking about it regularly. It's just really it's a dream come true for me like we i've 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 been using true media for so long and true media is amazing obviously but so often i have to tell people just like no you you can't get where where can i get this information where can i get this data i'm like you you can't like it's it's not really accessible publicly like you can follow me and read my work but like otherwise no um but like now that we have fantasy points data suite the answer is a yes and that's really cool um, love the first read stuff, of course, all the matchup based stuff. Um, the, and, and we're going to talk about that in more detail. Some of the new tools that's really good for in season stuff for DFS players, which I, I love. Um, obviously, today is more of a dynasty based show. Um, but I think that there are a lot of applications for that as well. Even just this is something that Heath and I talked about with uh, Dwayne McFarlane this off season is like wide receivers who are able to consistently beat man coverage um, early in their career. That's a great signal. Um, that's a long-term signal. That's not 
just a matchup based thing that you can use in the season that's also something that's relevant uh down the line for dynasty players so love 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 the data suite um think we're really only beginning to scratch the surface of the capabilities with it which is really exciting and I think it's it's an important point because we are going to talk about some rest of season stuff, some weekly stuff, some matches. But like, just because you're in a dynasty league doesn't mean this season doesn't matter. In fact, for about half the league, the next six or seven weeks matter a lot more than everything else. And for half the league, you're trying to take advantage of that. You can probably use some of this information to sell some guys for a little bit better pick than maybe you were going to get before because it is that time of year. We're definitely going to talk some trade stuff on today's show but it's like i know i've got a trade deadline hit, hitting today i had a couple trade de deadlines that just passed on monday but it's it's the time of year to kind of make that move if you have a trade deadline in your league we do always start with three questions for the guests so three questions for scott barrett scott what is you know i we talk now about targets per route run yards per route run those those types of things are becoming more and more mainstream you see especially on twitter like you, you hear I remember like five years ago, definitely six, seven years ago, those you didn't even hardly hear those terms. So what is the the one advanced stat that you think people are not paying enough attention to yet that maybe in, in three or four years we'll, we'll see a lot more? Yeah, you mentioned uh, yards per route run. That's like the GOAT receiver efficiency metric. It's just so powerful, so important, so predictive. Really like, you know, like ESPN had their wide receiver rankings and it had Darius Slayton at 11 and it had Tyreek Hill at 18. Really like all you need to do, I think for great wide receiver rankings is just sort by yards per route run. Like that's how good that metric is targets per route run. I actually think is a little overrated or at least it needs uh, you need more context when you're looking at that. I think nine times out of 10 though, target share kind of beats out targets per route run in terms of what you're trying to do. Uh, but to me, like the best metric, like if I could only pick one is hands down XFP expected fantasy points. This is uh, one of the metrics that helped me make my name uh, on the DFS side. I've been talking about this since 2016 and it's still, in my opinion, like one of the most underrated metrics there is. It's basically a catch-all stat to measure a player's volume, like a raw new, uh, number what is this player's usage and volume worth measured by? Um, so I use a 10-year uh, sample of play-by-play -play data, looking at every single carry by down and distance and distance from the end zone, every single target um, by distance from the end zone and air yards on that throw. So obviously deep targets are worth more than targets behind the line of scrimmage End zone targets, red zone targets are worth more than targets coming, you know, from the 50 yard line. And you just add all those up and it basically tells you uh, who has the best volume in fantasy. We know that's more predictive. Uh, XTD predicts touchdown it's expected touchdowns right. predicts touchdowns in the following season better than actual touchdowns you see the same thing with xfp especially at the running back position which is a position that's driven so much more by raw volume than it is efficiency that's awesome stuff and actually my second question was going to be about xfp so i want to dig a little bit deeper into that since since you went ahead and brought it up because that's basically that's telling you what the average running back or wide receiver would do with this opportunity. So how do you suggest somebody when they're looking at it and they say, well, this guy is way outperforming his role, his volume, or he's way underperforming his volume. How do we know 
when that's a, well, he's just a lot better than everybody else, or he's just not as good as everybody else, or he's been unlucky, or he's been lucky. This is absolutely where I start losing people. So contrasting actual fantasy points versus expected fantasy points, um, it's a blend of art and science to try and determine that question you just asked. How much of this is, oh, this player's due for a positive or negative regression? How much of it is, oh, this player's just really awesome and like, you know, just I don't care that Devon A. Chain is averaging 10 touches <laughs> and 30 fantasy points per game because he really might just be the second coming of Chris Johnson. And like, that is like my opinion on it. Like he's right now looking like the biggest negative regression candidate I've seen in maybe five years, something like since, since rookie season Tyreek Hill. Right. right. But he might, this is a game. Fantasy football is a game that's driven by outliers. These players who are just so much better than, uh, everyone else. That's Tyree Kill. That's early career OBJ. That's Rob Gronkowski. And I mean, it's it's hard to say this with with my chest out, only a three full game sample size. But uh, I do lean more towards uh, A Chain as sort of you know a transcendent player in that regard. Uh, you look at the top negative regression candidates. Uh, there's A Chain. There's Raheem Mustard. That's part of it too. By the way, is right. just like. Mike McDaniel is a god. Uh, and then there's Tyreek Hill and Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, nope, those guys are just really damn good. Um, and then you look at positive regression candidates. So players who are falling well short of their volume-based expectation measured by XFP. And you see names like Damian Pierce, Traylon Burks, Alexander Madison. And you have like Tony Pollard, <laughs> like Tony Pollard. I, I'm still maintaining like he is due for a positive regression. The fantasy points are going to come. He's running really bad uh, near the end zone, especially. That's something we we know really tends to regress the mean. I, I don't think Mike McCarthy is using him in an optimal way, and that's kind of impacting him. But I, I do, you know, right now he's what a low end RB two by production and a low end RB one by by volume. I think you know throughout the remainder of the season where we should expect at least like high end RB two production, but then Damian Pierce, like, yeah, he's just kind of dead to me. I don't think he's a fit for this offense. And we've heard Bobby Slowick basically say exactly that. And we've seen Devin Singletary smash these last two weeks. Um, and so of course with this poor efficiency is, uh, you know, he was already lo- like, I think Singletary already outsnapped him in his last game before injury. So that's not a regression candidate to me. That's just a player I'm I'm writing off. Alexander Madison, I think right. sort of the same thing there. Robert Woods, yeah, I'm not, I'm not betting on a Robert Woods resurgence. I think he's just dusty. So again, it's a blend of art and science, and this is where I lose people. This is where it gets tricky. All I can really say is just read my article where I try and kind of filter through this. Well, you lost you lost Jacob Gibbs. Um, he's gonna, he's currently deleting all past tweets promoting the site because you said something negative about Damian Pierce, and he, he does not want to hear that. But so and, and, hold on, hold on, real quick, real quick. <laughs> I love Damian Pierce. I was like, I, I was so high on him coming out. I think he's awesome. Uh, I just don't think he's a fit for this uh, zone based Mike McDaniel uh, running offense. So we we've seen this before. Like how many day two running backs have they drafted who just are immediately outplayed by random like UDFAs and round seven picks. Right. There's something to this scheme. And we heard Bobby Slowick basically say, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was, you know, maybe like 
right before Singletary started to, you know, supplant him in the 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 pecking order was something like, listen, he's a great player, but dot dot dot, like he right. just doesn't fit this scheme. Is like how I interpreted it at the very least. Jacob, Jacob, I think that that kind of gray area where we're we're looking at these outliers and and definitely like the first four weeks of the season, Puka was one. It's like how far is he going to regress? We know he's not going to keep doing this. But it, it gives me a little bit of comfort because it's it's not like the 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 stats are going to completely do our job. We still have to determine which of these guys are really good and which of these guys are bound for regression, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a good point. I really like this whole discussion. It's gonna it's kind of a a bigger one uh, and like more uh, less dynasty focused. I feel like um, so I don't really know which direction to take it. But yeah, the Damian Pierce stuff bums me out so much, man. I hit on Houston's offense. I really thought they were going to be a lot better. I was super high on Tank Dell coming into the year and CJ Stroud. And I just thought Pierce was so freaking good that he would be part of that. You know, rising tide lifts all ships. But no, yeah, he's not a good fit for it. Well, and I told so I, I that, but that, that's also, and it's got, I'll go right back to you here in just a second, but that's also like the narrative with the, the Damian Pierce archetype where the, the day three or the UDFA running back, who even if they're really good, it doesn't take very much to go wrong for mm-hmm. them to disappear. Like James Robinson was legitimately very, very good. And then one thing went wrong and it's, it's not a thing. So I, I just think like that's the problem with counting too much on running back talent when there's not a huge investment in them. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Scott. I, I will say with Damian Pierce, people look at him as a day three pick, but he, you know, if he went two picks earlier, he would have been a day two pick. And then he got the most money ever, like the most bonus right. money ever for a day three pick. They really did believe in him, uh, thought he was more talented than, than where he ultimately fell. Uh, on Damian Pierce, I just pulled up the fantasy points data suite. And here's exactly what I was talking to. So in man gap uh, rushing concepts, mm-hmm. Damian Pierce is more efficient than Devin Singletary, 4.3 yards per carry to 4.1. But in zone concept runs, Damian Pierce is averaging 2.35 yards per carry versus Devin Singletary's 4.1. And what is this? This is a zone-based rushing attack, and so it's just not a clear fit for him. But I I think you brought up a great point that I think dynasty players consistently miss, uh, and that's regime uncertainty. Or, or, you know, a changing in, you know, a new GM or a new head coach specifically or a new offensive coordinator really muddies the evaluation. And uh, I think Damian Pierce is a perfect example of that. Well, it's a brand new, uh, you know, scheme that, you know, the previous scheme was like, oh, this guy would be a great, he's a great talent and he's a great fit for us. Uh, you also saw that with like, LaVisca Chenault, who like one of the when he was drafted by Jacksonville, they were like, uh, don't expect much this year, but we have a clear vision in mind for him and how we're going to develop him and how we're going to use him. And the hat, what was it? Round two draft capital. So there was that investment in him. But it's like this is a lame duck head coach coach. And like, I don't know how he's there the next year. So that's something to, to keep in mind when you're investing in players or rostering players. Uh, what happens if there's a new regime that comes into play? Real quick, so, Heath. Yes, sir. Spe- specifically on the note you brought up about um, investment in later round running backs, um, specifically related to injury, I want to bring up Edwin Porras. I don't know if I'm butchering that. Yeah, or not. no, that's great. Fantasy points, um, doctor of physical therapy. He, I listened to him on late round perspectives with JJ Zacharyson. And one of the most highly correlated um, data points 
relative to um, injury recovery was draft capital, which is really interesting. And they were speculating, mm -hmm. like, is that just because they're higher drafted players are more athletic, higher drafted players are more motivated, something like that. Um, and I think Edwin's condition was just that the teams are more invested, you know, whereas mm -hmm. like I, I use this podcast specifically to help one of my buddies. He was asking me about um, Isaiah Pacheco's trade value relative yeah. to like a first round dynasty pick. And I was like, he's like, what, what are the chances that my first round pick? He's new. He doesn't he's not very confident. Like they'll make the right pick. He's like, what are my chances that my first round pick will be better than Pacheco? And I'm like, I, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, like there's a floor to Pacheco that you're not considering where like if he gets hurt, which is very realistic because of the way they runs. He's so violent. Oh, gosh, I think he gets hurt every run. If, <laughs> for if a normal he, person would. If he's forced to miss time, you know, like it's so easy for the team to just move on from him because there's no investment there, you know? Yeah. I, I, I want to stick with this, this running back talk for the third question because this was a question I asked this summer and I, I still have some questions about it. I, the per route data for running backs – I am interested, Scott, if if you have done any research into how much of that belongs to the running back and how much of that belongs to either the system or the quarterback in terms of checkdowns and and that and then and the guy I think of the most from last year is Ramondre Stevenson. Because if you looked at Ramondre Stevenson, there were there were advanced stats that showed that he was pretty good in terms of the passing game. And the actual production in terms of a per target basis was pretty awful. It was around four, four and a half yards per target or something, which is not a great predictor, but still there's that big gap, which to me indicates something like, well, they're just dumping it off to him a bunch whenever he's running routes. Yeah. So I, I have looked at this. Uh, it definitely is on the quarterback to a large degree. Uh, something we notice is hyper mobile quarterbacks target running backs, uh, significantly less than you know, sort of statue like pocket passers uh large component of that is you're you're targeting running backs as this sort of safety valve you know their pressure is hitting you fast so you just quickly dump it off whereas you know a lamar jackson or jalen hurts might just flee the pocket and run and pick up a first down and that is something you see like the running backs don't matter crowd which is like very mostly right um they'll look at not to get into the the rushing component, but looking at the receiving right. component, they'll they'll contrast a, a running back's EPA per target versus a wide receiver or tight end, and it'd be a lot less. But like, what something I think they're missing is that like, what oftentimes when you're targeting a running back, it's the difference between a sack, which is a massively negative EPA per play, and targeting a running back who picks up four yards, which is like a very slightly positive play. So you can't just look at that slightly positive number; you have to contrast it with the well a massively negative play and like on this point too is like the best coaches in the league all target running backs at an above average rate uh sean payton bill belichick andy reed all heavily target their running backs um and so that is also you know a coaching thing a scheme thing right uh and it's also of course you know on a, on a player thing uh you know Gus Edwards isn't going to get a lot of targets, uh, but obviously Alvin Kamara does because because he's great in that role. So I think it's a blend of all these sort of uh, different factors. Okay, good stuff. So we're we're going to get back into the data in just a second. We do have to get go go real quick, Jacob. I wanted to bring up DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift target per route run rate super high in college. First three years of the Lions, twenty five percent, twenty four percent, thirty percent. Immediately goes to Philly, nineteen percent target per route run rate yards per route run below one for the first time ever. 
Um, just I think the clear example of like system versus player, like everything up to this point would have suggested that Swift is a target earner if that exists right. at running back. Mm-hmm. No, that Detroit situation for running backs remains fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something there too, and I, we, we won't get into this too much, but I'll just real quick, I, I know I've seen some stuff on Twitter this week about Sam Laporta and the splits for him when one mm-hmm. of Montgomery or Gibbs are injured versus when both of those guys are healthy. And I do think there seems to be a little bit of connection in that offense. They, they obviously want to give the ball to running backs either through the air or handing off 35 times a game. But not if Greg Reynolds is one of those running backs. Yeah, the, that that was a great stat. That was by uh, Jacob Sanderson, yeah. who in games Montgomery and Gibbs were fully healthy. Laporta has seen exactly five targets in every game, and then with without one of them or they they suffer an injury in the game, it balloons to like I don't know eight point seven targets per game, something like that. And I'm thinking back to what Kyle Shanahan has said about how having specifically McCaffrey and Kittle on the field at the same time just, you know, provides this like exponential increase to like what this offense is capable of doing, because then you can move them around and get at least one of them matched up on a linebacker. And so it's just like a little weird that, you know, Laporta's targets have come down considerably with a a healthy Gibbs and like not much of an efficiency increase either, but. And and again, it's like, we're talking about a, a rookie tight end, and a, a pretty small sample size that now we're chopping into a smaller sample size. So it, right. it, it could be it could be noisy too, but I thought it was something interesting. Let's get into a couple of pieces of big news. We do this show once a week, so there's stuff that a lot of people have talked about. And from a dynasty perspective, we need to talk about Joe Burrow out for the year, obviously the biggest four dynasty managers. Jacob, I'll just go to you on this, and then I'll go to Scott on the wide receivers. Do you, if you're a contender with Joe Burrow, you're you're selling. What what do you think this like? This is a, a guy who's had a lot of different types of injuries. Kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the the Keenan Allen situation when Keenan Allen got the injury prone label and then didn't get hurt again for several years. But are are you downgrading Burrow any more than we're not getting anything from him this year? I I am. I'm I'm a little bit worried about Burrow. I've actually been doing some trading um, with other dynasty players with Burrow, and I I have a hard time like measuring his value relative to someone like CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson or like Justin Herbert. I think I'll take all those guys over him. Um, one thing is like just from a team construction standpoint, like he's had this great run when he was on his rookie deal, and now he's probably going to lose T Higgins, and like I think it's just going to be a much different situation than what he's had. Um, yeah, I, I think he falls into like the QB eight overall for dynasty range for me, um, which is lower than he's ever been. Yeah, I, I've actually got him just, a, and I think it's, it's so difficult, Scott, because what we should honestly have is two different rankings this time of year. We should have a, a dynasty ranking of, of Joe Burrow for contenders and a dynasty ranking of Joe Burrow for rebuilders. Cause this year doesn't matter for half the teams in the league, probably at this point. But I do think specifically compared to Stroud, I'd already moved Stroud ahead of him because I don't know that there's that much difference in there. And there's a five-year difference in terms of age. But now the additional injury, are, are you concerned all about Burrow or are you just fine with it? Uh, I honestly wouldn't have moved him down in my rankings yeah. at all. I think he's like one of these like unicorn values in in Dynasty who just like one of the most valuable players in the entire format. And, uh, you know, if I lose him for the rest of the year and I'm a contender, I I... I kind of you know i'll just try and find a replacement but i'm not i'm not moving him i i do you know 
typically take a massively long view with in Dynasty, like how Warren Buffett values stocks is like the ideal holding period is forever. And so like Joe Burrow is a player I want on my team for forever. But that's maybe just my unique uh, Dynasty philosophy. Do you, do you feel the same way about both of the wide receivers? I, I was uh, I was having this conversation last week and the idea of if you if you were a contender with Jamar Chase on your roster, things obviously aren't going to go quite as well. And there's like CD Lamb's exploded. And I think really mm-hmm. justified himself as that wide receiver three, who's obviously much better this year. Is that something you're even considering or both Chase and Higgins you would just like to hold as well? Uh, Chase again, like top five dynasty asset for me, maybe like sure. the yeah. wide receiver one. Uh, yeah, just want to hold him for forever, even if this is a lost year. Um, Higgins, I, I don't know. I, 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 you can go back and forth on like he's not, you know, Chase is an alpha who's gonna alpha and that's gonna hurt him. Uh, but you know, maybe he leaves in free agency, goes to like the Chiefs or something like that and becomes like a, a, a fantasy juggernaut in line with his talent. Um, so I just, I just think about that, but I, I tend not to, you know, hurt myself in future years for the sake of this year. That's, that's just kind of how I, I play it. Okay. I'm going to stay with you here on, on Jake Browning. Do we, <laughs> do we have any reason to hope for anything other than awful? And is, is he a super flex replacement or just let somebody else pick him up and, and they can sabotage their team? Yeah, I, I I think he's like nothing. I think he's like you know Zach Wilson levels of production, uh, and we just have a million of these guys this year, right? Tommy DeVito and uh, you know DTR, maybe Joe Flacco, and so there's just like a bunch of these guys. Uh, definitely add him to your team. Uh, I would probably wouldn't start him unless I'm I'm desperate. Really not expecting much, and I, I do think this crushes the value for guys like Chase Higgins and Mixon to a lesser extent. Jacob, Mark Andrews also not necessarily out for the year. They're holding out hope. I think they're holding out hope for their playoffs, not our playoffs. So uh, I, I am expecting to not see Mark Andrews play football in, in something that matters for fantasy rest of season. And I think the first question, and it's I didn't even think it would be a question back in August, but does Isaiah likely even matter? Like we saw them, this team play one game without Mark Andrews and just completely ignored Isaiah likely. We saw Andrews leave last week early likely doesn't have a catch it's or didn't didn't have a yard um absolutely nothing for him it seems like that tight end role that was so carved into this offense is now just a mark andrews role and if he's not there it goes to the wide receivers is that the way you see it i i think so uh just given what we've seen but it's it's a small sample size he's only run 106 routes all year um but yeah, with Mark Andrews off the field last year, Isaiah likely had a 26, 27% target per route run rate. Um, it's down to 12% this year with Mark Andrews off the field. 68 routes run without Andrews, eight targets, 54 scoreless yards. Um, so yeah, I, I think the presence of the receivers definitely makes a difference. I think Odell Beckham is honestly playing really well right now, better than I could have expected. Um, so yeah, I think we're looking at likely as like the third or fourth pass catching option in this offense at best i don't know if he's gonna be very relevant scott we had a question from the chat uh and and i've got a team that's in the the, in fact the team i was talking to you guys about before the show that i'm so frustrated in first place team or a contender with mark andrews that this is obviously a different situation than burrow and chase because andrews is a 28 year old tight end we're hoping we have four to five more years left but he's of the age where we might not um 
he's got Logan Thomas as his Mark Andrews replacement. I have David Njoku as, as my Mark Andrews replacement. Are you fine with that? Or are you trying to sell Mark Andrews to get like a, a difference maker rest of season? Yeah, again, I really don't like these trades where I could really see myself, you know, kicking myself uh, two years down the road. Like, oh, I wish I didn't do that just to, you know, make a push for the the championship. You, you know, if you won or lost that, if you lost that, that could be really bad. Um, if it's tight end premium, I, I I definitely would wouldn't. If it's not, if it's just like PPR where tight ends kind of matter a good deal less, you can consider it. But um, I I think Andrews is is someone I, I would prefer to hold. Okay, and somebody if you would you would target if you are not competing, right? That you'd like to. Have oh, a, for sure. To yeah, I'd go, I'd yeah. go after all these guys. Yeah. Right, right, and I think that's a that's kind of an underrated. Like, a lot of guys are thinking about. I'm compiling draft picks. I'm comp- I'm, a- I'm adding rookies. No, go, go look for these injured players as well, especially if you can get them at a discount. Jacob, the the guy we saw pop last week and who has really shown some life recently, Odell Beckham. Would you view him as a buy for contenders? Do you think that he could be a, a difference maker down the stretch without Andrews? I think he could be. Again, super small sample size, but he's averaging almost three yards per run without Andrews on the field. And we saw them really kind of funnel things to him last week. Um, Rashad Bateman has seen his route participation rise, but he's just doing nothing, man. He's averaging right. one yard per run on the year. Um, I, think it, I think it might be Beckham. And Zay Flowers hasn't really converted um in terms of efficiency with the opportunities he's been given so it it wouldn't surprise me if it is beckham scott uh zach wilson has been benched some people were very excited about this i think they're going to be very disappointed when they see tim boyle on the field i don't even i don't expect any upgrade at all here i wonder if you do and i wonder how you're viewing hall and wilson in this reality that they're in that hopefully Aaron Rodgers comes back and is Aaron Rodgers again at some point, but it kind of looks like they could be in QB purgatory for until the end of next year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's bad. Uh, Tim Boyle. I have no idea how he made it into the NFL in college and like so crazy 32 games against like super inferior competition at a 12 to 26 touchdown to interception ratio 5.6 yards per attempt uh he's been worse in the nfl like i I have no idea uh what they're doing what what trevor simeon did to deserve this uh you should definitely play and like if that ever happens um you know, wheels up for Garrett Wilson, who easily leads the league in first read target share, who last season averaged, what was it, 17.1 fantasy points per game with Mike White and Joe Flacco. Uh, and yet the Jets found the only guy who's worse than Zach Wilson. So, uh, yeah, not this is bad. Not not expecting much. Brees Hall, I think, is going to be fine since week five i believe he's like the rb5 by fantasy points per game uh just insane inconsistency there he had like half of those games were under 11 fantasy points the other half were over 18 it was something like that um he's gonna be okay just just massively inconsistent and then yeah poor poor garrett wilson if if aaron Rodgers stayed healthy this year Brees hall would have been a league winner garrett wilson would have been a league winner yep and uh it's just the the way fantasy goes sometimes it is. Uh, and uh, Jacob, we've got Steelers fans, I think, celebrating. Probably Matt Canada fired. I don't ever celebrate when anybody gets fired. But I, I do, again, I'm skeptical that this is going to matter this year. Kenny Pickett's still going to be the quarterback. Do you have hope for any of the Steelers? And if so, who are you hopeful is, is going to matter for them late? Yeah, I mentioned George Pickens as a potential buy on a podcast I did earlier this morning. And I wanted to, if we had time for it, I wanted to bring up first read target rates as a potential signal 
um, and see what Scott and you thought about that. So just specific to Pickens, he does have a 28% first read target rate in year two up from 19% last year, which I think is really encouraging. And if we see him not stuck in this go corner post route 60% of the time role that he's been in under Matt Canada, then I think he could be like legit the wide receiver one there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. I, I want I want a cl- clarification, and then I want Scott's take on that. But that first read target share is including all of the games this year, or what is it with and without all, Deontay? All the games, thirty eight percent without Deontay, which would be like top five. So, what tw- is that? That I mean, is around twenty with Deontay this year? I don't have that off the top, but I think probably okay. that sounds about right. So it's pretty similar to last year when Deontay's on the field. I think so, but okay, I, yeah, I don't have it. Go ahead, Scott. What do you what do you think about these Steelers wide receivers? Uh, yeah, I, I just had to pull up a, a stat from from week two to week seven. George Pickens ranked top twelve in target share, top ten in first read target share, top seven in depth adjusted yards per target over expectation, top seven in yards per route run, top three in yards after the catch per reception. I was always kind of a Pickens hater, so like this was the most mind blowing stat I found. And then of course Deontay Johnson came back, and what did Deontay Johnson do? He just like out alphaed uh, Pickens to like a massive degree, and I I I think. I think that's who Deontay is. I think he's, you know, the drops are an issue, can't stay healthy, can't score touchdowns, right? Uh, but he is an elite target earner, and that is something I think is really sticky. He, he gets open uh, in a way that I, I don't think Pickens does. He's more of a possession receiver. Um, it could happen. I, I I would just be more bullish on Deontay. I think he's just going to keep getting his and, and, and Pickens, you know, maybe he was just held back by like the stupid route tree Canada had him running, but uh, uh, I don't know. I'd be more bullish on Deontay. More bullish on Deontay. So a little bit of hope for both Steelers wide receivers. I I'm afraid that it will be false hope because Kenny Pickett's just not going to be any good, but a little bit of hope, which we didn't really have with Matt Canada there. Let's take a short break and then we'll get into uh, some running back advanced stat talk. Okay. So we are back. We are, a little bit behind schedule. Fantastic conversation before the break, but we'll move a little bit quicker through these. I want to talk real quick about some advanced running back stats, Scott, and I'll just ask you first, like which there's there's obviously a lot. And I think the one of the things that frustrates people is they there are some of these running back stats that sound like they kind of measure the same thing that have different names and give different <laughs> results. So so what would you say, like which advanced stats actually matter for running backs? Yeah, all the volume stats. Like for fantasy, all the volume stats, XFP, XFP market share, XFP per play. Um, that's that's what you want to look at. Snap share also is really great. Like, like uh, snaps correlate better to fantasy points than touches, than, than carries <laughs> and targets. Uh, also, you, you want running backs involved in the passing game. Targets are worth 2.5 times as much as carries in PPR leagues. So important. Um in terms of efficiency, I like missed tackles, force per touch, yards after contact per attempt, uh, maybe explosive run rate, things like that. That that's important. Uh, but but typically, I'm someone who's just chasing volume because because that's what's most predictive. That's what typically works. Unless you're talking about Najee versus Jalen Warren or something like that, then then just give me the better player. <laughs> we are going to talk about Najee versus Jalen Warren in just a moment. How, I, I do. I wonder, and I, I don't know if you got this off the top of your head, but. How long does it take in, in a season in terms of either touches or, or time frame until these stats become sticky for a given season? 
Um, I don't, I don't know that I, I, I start acting on it immediately for DFS. And like, that's the thing is like in DFS, there's like seasons within seasons within seasons. And so, uh, you know, these, these things change. You, you know, the, uh, we saw Jalen Warren get the, the start, you know, I think he perfectly even in snaps with Najee, but you know, coaches can come to their senses and, and make changes and things like that. So uh, I'll just say it's like an ever changing thing. I'm just always looking at tracking usage, like, okay, snap shares climbing for this player, declining for this player. Oh, he now has the, the goal line role. Oh, oh he lost, you know, a targets have fallen off the cliff for Josh Jacobs following this, this play caller change, things like that. Right. J- Jacob, I want to, I want to just get right into like, going the opposite direction of Josh Jacobs in terms of targets. Brian Robinson has has turned into uh, Alvin Kamara over the last two weeks, 13 catches in his last two games. And not just that, but the guy is averaging like 10 yards a catch. He's had some huge plays. And so I, do you view these last couple of weeks as kind of a transformation for Brian Robinson? Do you view him as someone who's a long-term asset or is he strictly a, a win-now piece? I don't even know if he's going to be that because the remaining schedule is pretty brutal um, for Brian Robinson. I think he's somebody who can get game scripted out pretty easily. Um, I kind of I kind of view him as a sell candidate, honestly. I will say what, we, what we've seen lately from a long-term perspective is encouraging. Uh, his snap rate was above 70%. That was the first time in his career that's even been above 60%. Um, his route participation was obviously up. The receiving is great to see that. I think it's a little fluky because of the big plays. But also, he's creating big plays. He's playing well. He's avoided 18 tackles over the past two games. He'd only avoided 22 tackles in the eight games prior to that this season. So I do think this is the best that we've seen him play at any point in his career, and that's exciting. Um, I just I don't love his projection the rest of the way this year. I, I understand that. Scott, I, I do want to hit on that big play thing because like a lot of the stuff, I, I think we can underestimate how that impacts coaches. Like I know that we can look at the numbers and say, yeah, it was really just kind of one one big play, but that big play might cause Eric Bieniemy to say, you know what, we should have the ball in his hands more often. Do you think that Robinson is legitimately improving or good, or do you think it's it's really just a couple of bit fluky big plays? No, I, I think he's really good. I, I had Jim Nagy on my my podcast when he was coming out. That's the director of the Senior Bowl, who was like, he's he's better than Najee. And you know what? I yeah. talked to people at Alabama who said he's better than Najee. And well, like he looks it. He's been insanely efficient on the ground. Uh, really impressive there. And then what did we see the last two weeks? Granted, an Antonio Gibson injury has played a role, but six and nine targets. And Robinson currently leads the league at all positions in fantasy points per target. He ranks second in depth adjusted yards per target over expectation to Jacob's point, like, you know, small sample uh, inflated by um, big plays and stuff like that. But like, still that's really encouraging and that's still way better than anything we've kind of ever seen from Gibson. And so that's what's going to happen. Either he Jacob's right. And he's going to be a game script dependent running back in bad game script on a, on a team that's top three in pass rate over expectation. So not great at all. Or, Hey, maybe they just kind of kick Gibson to the curb and fully unlock Robinson as a bell cow. And he's a league winner for season long league. So I, I think it, it really comes down to you wild uh, spectrum here. And, and, you know, yeah. I, I don't feel confident one way or the other, but that, that's how I'm looking at it. 
And, and I've got him like running back dynasty rankings are just kind of absurd in themselves, but he, he's right around RB20 for me, which kind of expresses that possibility of a great finish and maybe even being a, a lead guy next year. And also the possibility of man could just completely disappear. That, that backfield seems to be getting a little bit more clear. Jacob, I, we're going to run through four that are not necessarily and I, I just want to kind of talk about these guys rest of season and then who you like more long term we'll start with the seattle seahawks which i think maybe one of the more confusing ones and also the highest upside because i love ken walker and i love zach charbonnet and what either of these guys you could convince me could be league winners walker obviously dealing with the injury right now but before the injury we saw charbonnet playing more snaps playing more snaps not necessarily doing more and not getting more touches how do you view these two backs and do you feel the same way i do that they're both really good it's just whichever one gets the touches is going to be awesome yeah i think you hit it perfectly they're both really good um we've seen kenneth walker shore up so many of the inconsistencies that plagued him last year in year two i've been really impressed with what he's done um and i think the team has as well but also i think pete carroll loves zach charbonnet and rightfully so he's played really really well the remaining schedule is absolutely brutal for the running backs in seattle um it's about as bad as it gets but i do think the passing down work for charbonnet is going to allow him to still be fantasy relevant scott do you have a, a strong take on which one of these guys is actually better and you which one would you prefer long term beyond this year yeah, I, I think Walker's a significantly better runner than than Charbonnet, and so because of that, I think he's going to continue to get more uh, volume and and uh, outproduce him. Uh, Sh- what Charbonnet has is like he is the much better pass catcher, but like mm-hmm. when both are healthy, we've kind of seen that as like empty calories, empty snaps, uh, where he's just like okay, he has all these snaps, but he's just pass blocking. You don't get fantasy points for, for pass blocking. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think he's going to go off whenever, uh, if, if Walker's out this week and next week, but, um, yeah, I would, I would definitely prefer Walker who I, I view as like, you know, one of the best pure runners in the league and, and a few steps above Charbonnet personally. Okay. Excellent. Uh, let's stick with you for the Steelers. And you've already made reference to pre- like like everyone else in the fantasy community, preferring Jalen Warren to Najee Harris and just begging the Steelers. I, I kind of wonder what you think, though. Do you think that Jalen Warren ever becomes the, the full-time back? Or is it size-wise, he probably stays in this kind of type of role where maybe you're hoping for 10 to 15 carries and he catches a couple of passes? And then long term with Najee, like is he is he just someone who's on your bench and you're hoping he falls into 20 touches at some point again? Yeah, I kind of don't see that happening. It, it it might be it might be over. I don't know. If you look at Warren versus Najee, Warren leads the league in yards per carry, explosive run rate, missed tackles force per attempt, yards after contact per attempt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Najee ranks easily outside of the top. 25 or top 30 and everything minus one of those stats uh the way i i described it was like this is a hot hand situation right, right. jalen warren is on a day armis and Najee harris is rosie o'donnell and like mike tomlin's picking rosie o'donnell 60 percent of the time it just makes no sense uh hopefully you know maybe matt canada played a role and now they come to their senses just try this guy out with a bell cow workload what do you have to lose when Last week, you know, Warren had 110 more yards from scrimmage on fewer touches. Uh, it's just like the value he adds on a per touch basis is so much higher. Um, I wouldn't be like investing 
massive draft capital trying to acquire him though, just because we've seen so many times where like Austin Eckler might've been a lone exception or, or Tony Pollard where it's like, this guy is so much better than the other guy. Just give him the ball. And it just never happens. These coaches are like, you give him the ball, he gets hurt or it saps some of his typical explosiveness or whatever it is. Um, but hopefully, hopefully I'm, I'm optimistic. We'll see. Jacob, I could absolutely. I I want to I want to move on here because we got we got to get to the next one. But I could absolutely see in like two weeks or three weeks or it almost happened after one week. People viewing the Ravens situation in a similar way, where we've got Gus versus Keaton Mitchell, and Gus is scoring all of the touchdowns, and Keaton Mitchell, man, the guy can score from anywhere on the field now. Last week wasn't exactly encouraging. They did get him more touches. That we didn't get the explosive plays. How do, how do you think Gus and Keaton Mitchell play out rest of season? And do you do you think either of them is going to matter that much after this year? Um, I don't think that we're going to see much change in the role. From I think last week is pretty much what we should expect in terms of Keaton Mitchell. It, they had been keeping him in a really limited role, um, but last week he got up to a thirty-seven percent snap rate, and I think that's about right. I think he'll top out at a probably forty, forty-five percent, and hopefully take most of Justice Hill's work. I think Keaton Mitchell could matter beyond this year. I doubt that Gus does, but I mean. The dude has avoided a tackle on 55% of his rushes, which is like Jalen Warren territory. Like, obviously, that's a small sample size, but it's not just the big runs. I think that's exciting when you've got – that was something I would, I would point towards um, with Achan a lot is like he might legitimately be a special player because he's not, he's not just hitting holes and breaking off long runs. He's also avoiding a tackle on 40% of his attempts, like by far the highest in the league. And so when you combine the top-line speed – with the ability to make people miss and like spring open plays, like I think that's really exciting. So yeah, I I like Keaton as a uh, as a dynasty hold. I, I the the running joke on our regular fantasy football today, Scott, is that Keaton Mitchell falls somewhere on the Devon H. Angelio McLaughlin scale, <laughs> and we're just trying to figure out where he is on that scale. And I guess you could put Jalen Warren kind of on the same scale. How, how do you compare Mitchell to those guys? No, I think I think that's a fair comp. Um, I don't know. I, my whole thing with him and, but also like a chain was, uh, I, I worry about the size. Like I don't yeah. ever see him being a guy who gets more than like eight to 10 touches. Like he's just capped there, which really hurts him for fantasy. You can never really trust him. And like, I'll just go nuclear one out of every four weeks on your bench. Um, and Edwards is yeah, probably done after this year, but, uh, hard to deny like this, uh, uh, this this uh, near end zone usage and, and touchdown role he has, which is so huge for fantasy. We've got a near split, it seems like, in Minnesota, and I'm not sure either of them are going to matter that much, but I know a lot of our listeners play in deep dynasty leagues, and so you might need to be starting these guys down the stretch. They were both okay last week. Chandler was better, but Madison definitely had more work. How do you how do you split up Alexander Madison and Ty Chandler Scott? Do you care about either? Is there a, is there a difference, or you just flip a coin? I I don't have a good answer to this, so like I just want right. to say I don't care. And yeah, I don't no, understand that. It's it's easy to say that when it's like, you know, uh, how how much value is this in this backfield? That's you know, Josh Dobbs has played well, but you know, it's not the same backfield it was with Kirk Cousins, uh, and it looks like a committee. Chandler's definitely outplayed Madison this year, but like I don't think either guy really matters after this year. 
Jacob, how many times can Alexander Madison fumble? Like, thank you, Kevin O'Connell. We've we've been frustrated in the past with coaches who bench good players after one or two fumbles. The James Cook thing a couple weeks ago was infuriating. <laughs> but Alexander Madison seemingly puts the ball on the ground every week. Yeah, man, you got to think that Chandler starts getting more opportunities. I think there's a chance that somebody, one of these two ends up being relevant because we've still got the Bears, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Packers remaining on their schedule. Um, so there's definitely a chance, but beyond this year, I doubt it's either one of them. We're going to take a short break here and then we'll get to the wide receiver advanced stats. And of course, Puka Nakua and Tank Dell to finish things up. So this is kind of one of those things where like, you know, it's, it's just good programming. You save Puka and Tank for the end of the show make sure everybody listens to the entire show because they are the most exciting thing going right now in Dynasty. But let's t- let's talk real quick about wide receiver advanced stats. And I'll ask kind of the same question, Scott. And Jacob, you just follow. Which advanced stats matter the most for wide receivers? Okay, Jacob, you Scott start, and Scott's going to unmute, and then he will uh, he'll follow you. Yeah, so one I'll, I'll bring up for Tank Dell specifically, is, and this is using the Fantasy Points data suite, is leaders and targets deemed open or wide open with a minimum of five air yards to kind of remove screens and stuff like that. Tank Dell is fifth, tied with Brandon Ayuk, um, behind just Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, and Jamar Chase in raw targets that are open or wide open. And when you make it a rate stat, so what percentage of Tank's total targets has he been wide open or open? 40%. Only Brandon Ayuk is ahead of him among the guys that I looked at. And Ayuk has obviously just been uncoverable this year. And so that that's interesting to me. I looked, I haven't had time to really research this stat, but I did look at last year's leaders in open, wide open targets with a minimum of five air yards um and some interesting names that that was christian kirk at third overall obviously has elevated his game even more this year continued to exceed expectations brandon Ayuk at eighth um obviously we've already talked about him he's been nuts this year corlin sutton at ninth tyler Devontae adams uh michael Pittman at 11th and okay. th- those those are two guys that have really exceeded expectations too so i think that's an interesting stat um that has a lot of potential we haven't really got into much uh, yeah, I think Jacob just gave a, a great answer right? with with Dell specifically as like it really does look like he's there becoming their wide receiver one. They have a special connection. Shroud actually told the Texans to draft him after they yep. uh, played together. Uh, this seems like his guy and that's that's bearing out by uh, first read target share by XFP. I think I think Tank Dell's ranked top three. Uh, in XFP among all wide receivers in three straight weeks. So like, even if the production wasn't there a few weeks ago, like at least that volume is, um, uh, so yeah, I think all that's great. You know, yards per route run. And, uh, I mentioned earlier, I think is one of the best stats out there for wide receivers. We had a question and I know one, one of Jacob's favorite stats and, and you talked about this a little bit as well, Scott, the uh, first read rate. And also I want to give Reese some credit here because the first person who's going to get a, a two chat question through so we got to it's it's a a little bit of a long one i i've heard since first hearing about first read rate some of the top qbs manipulate the defense by looking opposite direction where they want to throw to move the safety so wouldn't some of first read rate be qb manipulation and not necessarily them looking for a certain player first uh yeah i mean there's there's no perfect stat out there it's it's just uh on the whole it it looks to be predictive Uh, it could be on the quarterback, it could be, you know, um, 
or it could be on the defense moving things around. It could just be, you know, this is their guy and they lock on, they lock on to them. Uh, so it's important to look at like a multi-week sample size with all of that. You want to go a little bit, Jacob, about you, about I know, I know this is special to you, and we haven't talked about it yet. So, so uh, you use first read target rate a lot, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I just want to bring up Matt Harmon uh, has said like basically all wide receiver stats are fake <laughs> in that like they're <laughs> they're all so dependent on outside you know factors, quarterback play, coaching, defense, um, and so don't, none of these are ones that you should get carried away with. Um, but I think when you, you can use them to paint a picture of what's happening, um, and then use that context to help yourself make decisions. And then in conjunction with things like Matt's reception perception or PFF grades or whatever you want to use for player evaluation, um, stats, I think that they are helpful and important. So specific to first read rates, I, I wanted to bring up two guys that stood out last year to me when looking at the 2022 data. Um, I'm curious if there is predictability going forward with this stat or if it's just something that's helpful in season, knowing what how the offenses are are functioning and and really prioritizing players. So last year, Michael Pittman had a 32% first read rate, which was 14th. That was in the same range as Chris Olave and A.J. Brown. Um, and I think he's somebody who just really kind of went overlooked this year this year's first read rate is up to 35%. He's a guy who Matt Harmon really, really likes and I think is kind of coming into his own as an alpha wide receiver. I'm really excited for him going forward. Brandon Ayuk, his first read rate last year was in the same range as like Travis Kelsey and Keenan Allen, who are obviously offensive centerpieces. And we've seen him step into that type of a role as an offensive centerpiece this year. Um, so those are two that just stood out quickly as like, you know, guys that looked really good in this metric last year this year man aj brown's first retarget rate is out of control it's up to 42 percent. it's actually ahead of garrett wilson who's been like by far the highest all year long he's now past him and so like that is nutty man like aj brown during his time in tennessee if you just look at target per route run rates stuff like that just kind of like it, it, there was a lot of noise to aj brown they had to suffer through because like he was missing time weird offense all that but a lot of things pointed towards him as being like truly the predominant like target hog in the NFL. And he wasn't quite that in Philadelphia in his first year, but like in his second year in the offense, it's clear that he's like the alpha. And I, I think he might, he's somebody who might get dinged a little bit because of his age and dynasty, but I don't know if there's a better receiver out there right now, like probably Jefferson, I guess. Um, but yeah, he, his rate really stood out to me because you got, so, I mean, Goddard has been healthy for most of that. You've got so many good options in Philly. Um, the other guys, Puka Nakua, 34% first read rate ahead of Cooper cup at 32%. When the two have been on the field together, they're almost identical. So like that is really, really impressive. Um, and then I already mentioned George Pickens, but yeah, I, I, I'm curious if you guys think first read rate can be relevant beyond just the season that we're in currently. Uh, yeah, one, one of our writers, uh, Ryan Heath did a, a, a great study. Uh, I would just point the, the listener to that. Let me pull the, the link to it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I wondered if that AJ Brown included last night because he did not have a lot of first reads last night. I think it is updated with okay. last night. Is that right, Scott? Um, I, I haven't checked it yet. First read targets and 
fantasy football, <laughs> Ryan Heath, fantasypoints.com. Check that out. They did a great study detailing uh, all of the practical uses and use case scenarios of first retarget share, both uh, in season and, and next year and its impact on quarterbacks as well. Um, yeah. Ryan does awesome. great work. Um, yes, on the tank, <laughs> on the tank Dell, no in yards per route run. I just want to mention that tank Dell is 10th in the entire NFL in yards per route run ahead of a prime Stefan Diggs with Josh Allen, a quarterback ahead of Jalen Waddle, who's just been like one of the best yard per route run producers of the past like decade dating back to college. Um, it's really insane what we've seen from him. His rookie season yard per hour run rate is pretty much identical to like Jamar Chase's rookie season. I think it was 2.5 for Chase, 2.4 for Tank Dell. It's it's insane, man. No, no, he's he's been and, and he was like I completely missed the Puka train. I didn't like I've got didn't draft him once in a rookie draft, but Tank Dell was my most drafted rookie this year. So I it make kind of a I, I want Tank Dell obviously to be the best rookie wide receiver in this draft. But I think we'll finish up with that. It's we've had this Puka versus Tank Dell discussion many times on this show. I, I've run a couple of Twitter, Twitter polls the last few weeks, and for the most part, it'd been about 65 35 in favor of Puka over Dell. Of course, this week it changes to 60-40 in favor of Dell over Puka. And so I guess I'll kind of ask two questions to it. And I'll start with you, Scott. You can follow, Jacob. Do you have a strong lean on which one of these guys? And where would you put the two of them if you're re-ranking this rookie class of wide receivers? Where would you put these two for dynasty purposes? I think this is a, a difficult, a really tricky, tricky one to answer. Mm-hmm. Um and it makes me like, yeah, I think you just kind of throw out most metrics. Like, I don't, I don't want to be comparing Puka versus Dell and, you know, targets per route run or whatever. I, I want to look at like the macro, what's going on here. Um, Puka, like obviously like an insane start to a career has been more productive. A worry is that he's just like a Sean McVay invention. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's good. He's better than the the round five draft capital he got, but he's still just, you know, round five draft capital wide receiver. And, uh, you know, maybe he's just playing the Cooper cup role and like you could slide, uh, a few other like good, but not great wide receivers in that role and, and put up this sort of PPR cheat code production with tank Dell, you know, like a lot of really impressive metrics, but he's another guy, you know, like that size is that, is that something that's going to come in play, uh, later in his career, you know, maybe injuries or like he's more one dimensional than, uh, we're giving him credit for. And then it's like, this offense is insane. I, I think that's shroud to a large degree, but it, and it's also Bobby Slowick. Um, but it's like Noah Brown, look at what Noah Brown's done the last two weeks. And we were talking about Tank Dell's yards per route run. Nico Collins, as at least up until last week, ranked even higher than yards per mm-hmm. route run. And so, like, how confident are we he's going to continue to be this, uh, you know, wide receiver, clear wide receiver one in the team and putting up, you know, fringe wide receiver one production if guys like Noah Brown and Nico Collins can do this. Like, do you think they're that good? Like, do you think Noah Brown's that good? Uh, and because that's a question that matters when, okay, what happens if they draft a wide receiver next year in a star studded cast or a class, or, you know, T Higgins is available in free agency. Maybe someone else is. And so, uh, maybe this is the peak for both players. This is just sort of how I want to be thinking about it. Uh, personally, I would give my lean to, to Puka. I heard a rumor, uh, this offseason, I heard it from two different 
uh, separate non-related <laughs> sources who said, you know, like the don't expect Cooper cup to play much longer in the league. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know how real that is. Like just a rumor, right. but, uh, what's the upside then if, you know, Cooper cup isn't around next year and, and Puka's the, in the, the Cooper cup role. Um, but yeah, so again, I, not, not stats driven. This is kind of just, you know, big picture zoom out, uh, what's going on here. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think you're right about how difficult it is. Right. I, right. I think that the the key thing in terms of like the why is that these were third, fourth, maybe even a fifth round rookie pick, and there's an enormous opportunity to make a huge profit. Right. Right. If if, if it is the Sean McVay creation, if it is, well, this offense is just going insane right now, and eventually the league's going to figure out exactly what they're doing, and and Tankdale's not that special, then you might turn your third-round rookie pick into a 2024 first-round rookie pick. At the same time, if you do that and this is real, you're going to feel like a fool. And so I think com- like comparing those guys to JSN, to Addison, to Zay Flowers – when they were drafted so far behind them, both in the real draft and in fantasy drafts, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, but it, you're right. It's very difficult. I'm more inclined with both of them to just hold, but I understand I, the urge to sell. I, I will say like my fundamental philosophy is that like upside matters more than downside is detrimental in right. fantasy football. And so like, I tend to just gravitate towards the player who offers more upside. And, and to me, that's that's Puka talking about the potential right. Cooper Cup role, that PPR cheat code role, and then uh, you know, just like the legitimate size concerns with Tank Dell, his ability to hold up or, you know, really you know put up alpha like production um, consistently and over a long period of time. Yeah, so th- so that would just be my. But again, this is this is really tough. Yeah, yeah, and I think one last question on that because I saw some people in the chat brought it up almost immediately when we started talking about them, and I and I hear this a lot. So, when you are evaluating guys like Puka and Tank Dell, and and you mentioned the how long is Cooper Cup going to play? I think that's a legitimate question. I, I think the rumor I heard this offseason, I don't know if it's if it's true or not, is that Stafford and Cup and McVeigh were probably all leaving at the same time because I think those guys are all all pretty good buddies, um, and so talking about quarterback situation for these young wide receivers. Tank Dell seems to be attached to one of the most young, exciting quarterbacks in the NFL. Puka seems to be attached to a very big question mark. How much does that matter to you when you're evaluating them for dynasty? No, you know what? That's a great point. You know, I was just thinking, what happens if Cup leaves? What happens if Cup, <laughs> McVay, and Stafford leaves? That is bad. No, that, that's a, that, and he was apparently really close. So, you know what? You might be right. Maybe in this case, you know, that downside is really bad. And you, you can just argue with Dell, like he's right, right now, you know, like uh, in dynasty circles, uh, uh, Shroud is getting moved up beyond Trevor Lawrence. And so he's tied to that throughout the remainder of his rookie contract. That's his boy. He told uh, the Houston tech. So you sold me. That was, no, you're right. You're right. right. And and I will say like, I love that you brought that up because I am a complete sucker for that quarterback friend narrative, quarterback teammate narrative, like that, that type of thing. I, I completely believe in it. Well, they both have it. Yeah, the Breakfast Club. Puka yeah, <laughs> got into the Breakfast Club this year. So yes. no, I, I QB to receiver report matters. Like that's a legitimate thing. So I'm with you on that. 
I, I appreciate you hanging out with us here today. And, and we went a little bit longer than I told you. So I appreciate that as well. T tell everybody one more time where they can find all of what you do and everything that's going on at Fantasy Points. Yeah, I'm uh, at Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter. And uh, my website is fantasypoints.com. Check us out. I thank you, Scott. I thank Jacob for fighting through uh, an illness this morning and making it almost the entire show. Thank everybody who was here with us on YouTube, listening on the podcast. Uh, we will talk to you next Tuesday.